Hello and welcome to What About Us, a podcast that discusses how policies, history, and culture affect rural Tennesseans. I am Sandy Rice, and in a few weeks, I will celebrate two years on the air, so to speak. Past year affiliated with the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Now, the Tennessee Holler is an audience-supported progressive news site with a series of active social media feeds that seek to amplify voices throughout Tennessee and yell the truth about what's really happening in our state. Go to tnholler.com to check out topics, videos, shows, sign up for the newsletter, and make a donation because we are people-powered. My guest today is Lisa Rock. She is the Executive Director of the Cumberland Center for Justice and Peace, headquartered in Cowan a rural-based organization serving the communities of the Cumberland Plateau. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for being with me today. Tell us about the Cumberland Center for Justice and Peace, which we're going to call CCJP. Why don't you start with your story? So I graduated from the University of the South here in Suwannee in 1990 and moved back in 1992 because I got married and there were no jobs here. I was looking for something to do. I decided to go back to school to get more education and get a job got a master's in business at Chattanooga. But while I was doing my master's in business, I had an internship at a factory in Dalton. And what I learned in business school was that when you increase productivity, wages increase. And it was obvious and everyone knew it. It was just like a law. So in my internship in my factory, I was um, helping upgrade their inventory system. And I improved their inventory system so they started producing 10% more. And what do you think happened to my friends? Their hours were cut. And all of a sudden I realized I spent three years of my life learning something I never, ever, ever wanted to do again. Mm-hmm. I did not want to be a part of that. What I know now that I did not know then, when productivity rises, wages do not rise absent labor organization. Labor is what makes wages rise, not productivity. So unless labor is able to claw back those gains, workers don't get any of it. I did not know that when I was 20 years old. Okay. I know it now. So got an MBA unemployed, no idea what to do. I was very lucky though. There was at that same time here in Swanee, a thing called the Broad Mountain Grocery, which was a sort of a food co-op. Oh, it it was a food co-op. And they were looking for a manager. And this was perfect because it's a co-op. That means that the workers were the owners, were the customers. There's no one exploiting anyone, right? So the better it ran, the more it was good for everybody. So it was really an ideal setup. The person who hired me, the, the president of the board of the co-op at the time was a woman named Jen Lapidus. Well, Jen Lapidus was the executive director of CCJP. So I'm not working with her very long before. It's like, hey, we're making a, a float in Ann Oliver's barn. You want to come help us? <laughs> and so I get kind of sucked into a parade float. <laughs> well, yeah, it starts it starts subtle like that. That that kind of got me pulled into CCJP. And it was a good thing because of uh, about a year after I started, the co-op burned down and I was unemployed again. <laughs> At that point, I had small children and I realized I would just wait until they were grown before I went looking for anything. And I had CCJP and it was really good for me because they were my first grown up friends in Swanee, for one thing. I could go somewhere and see someone I knew from CCJP and that and I felt like I knew somebody and it was kind of integrated me into a very, I realized this podcast is not just for Swanee people, but for those who don't live here, it's a very small place and it's easy to get you know, alone. Secondly, it kind of introduced me to activism. Like at some point I'm on a bus to ride to Nashville with a toddler to go lobby legislators about something or other. And it was just so much fun. And it got me out of my little shell and got me on the world. And I just enjoyed it. So my first introduction to CCJP was that it was a way to have fun and make, <laughs> make friends. <laughs> and uh, things happened. That was, um, uh, you know, the early 2000s. I was on the board for a few years and then did other things and came back in 20. 20- 18 as a director right I was hired as a director 
um, which is kind of odd because now I'm the one with all the institutional memory. Like originally I was like the young, you know, not wasn't that young, but I was <laughs> relatively young, uh, surrounded by all these 60 year olds and they seemed old anyway. They're not as old as they were then. And now I'm the old person, <laughs> not the one. <laughs> except for Tom Bowen. I'm the only one who's actually been there the whole time. So I actually knew the founders personally, like some of them were my teachers or friends. And so now it feels weird to be the, the old the old person, but, but I am. And I'm also the director, so I think that works out pretty well. When did it start? Okay, so it was founded in 1987, but the history actually goes back before then because it was founded by a bunch of survivors of the Highlander Folk School in Summertown, Tennessee. And we all know about that. It's famous, you know, it's a place where Rosa Parks was trained in the civil rights training, and they actually did a lot of labor training that got them into trouble way before they're in trouble with other things. So in 1959, I actually have in my possession a letter in 1959 written to, from Miles Horton, the director of the Highlander, to his Swanee friends, thanking them for writing a public letter defending him because at the time they were under pressure, they were being accused of being communists, the communist training school. Oh, and some that. Swanee people were fired for going out there. There were people that were fired for their association. But a couple dozen people in Swanee were not afraid of that or, or they were afraid did anyway. And they signed a letter saying, we, we support the school, we think it's a good thing. And Horton wrote a letter thanking them for their support in 1959. And three of the people on that letter were, were some of the founders, the first people involved in CCJP. So they were the survivors. Highlander was chased out of this area in 1959. The letter is written like in March. I think they're chased out in May or June. Or, you and I went to that, remember, you and I went to that uh, sure. anniversary thing. Uh, anniversary, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, and then so, um, if I can just interject, I did uh, for Rosa Parks' birthday, February 4th. Okay. Um, I did uh, a thing on, on her, which, you know, she was all in Montgomery and the, and the bus boycott. But I, I promised everyone a Tennessee connection, and we talked about the Highlander School. So um, these people were the ones after Highlander left, and they maintained they maintained contact with Highlander, which is now in Knoxville. After that, it went to Knoxville, and then later I think it's Newmarket. Anyway, so they still maintain connection. Like Scott Bates was on the board of the Highlander, I think, till the end of his life. But they still wanted the idea was kind of planted here. So 1987, an opportunity arose. They created an organization that would be kind of the same here in. Swati, and that was that was um, CCJP. Okay, all right, good. So it's nonprofit, nonpartisan. Correct. Okay, and so what do y'all do? <laughs> well, that this is a little rough. <laughs> so I was hired in 2018. Uh, kind of a, re a rebuild, what you might call a rebuilding effort, and so we're still trying to make ourselves useful. Um, we've got we got involved in the mascot struggle last year, trying to change the racist mascot of our local county. And um, so now this year, we're, we're getting more deeply involved with the, with the Juneteenth celebrations here locally, which that didn't happen at all before and didn't happen last year for the first time. And this year, I think we're actually gonna be one of the sponsors. Um, what do we do? We just did a recycling event in April. Uh, we publish a newsletter. <laughs> we have a lending library, which was has been closed because of COVID, but hopefully it'll be able to open up again. We we have events, uh, regular events we do all the time. Like, um, I mean, uh, not all the time on a on a regular basis, like a Hiroshima Day. Um, we're we're the ones that started the Martin Luther King event in Swanee. Now, let's talk more specific. Now you have a workshop coming up on Saturday, a resilience workshop. No, we had to call it off. There wasn't enough interest. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Talk about what. You want to talk well, about what it was going to be? Maybe we okay. Can well, I do want to try it again because I want to try. I think the timing might be wrong, so I think. 
the idea is that, um, well, we had a really rough year. We all did. And remember in March, you went to go find the, went to the grocery store and the shelves were empty. And it was a shock that this would happen in a first world country. And, uh, and I, it was shocking to me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so it got me thinking about survival in general and how survival, survivalism has a sort of bad connotation for most of us because we live in an individualistic society. So people think it means looking out for number one. But traditionally, people never survive alone. You know, we're social species. We survive together. So I was thinking how to get that idea out there that we had to survive together, but also just a reality. I mean, what if something did happen? What if there was an ice storm? What if, I don't know, the interstate shut down? What if there's a, a boat in the Suez Canal? If everyone had food in their basements, our whole town would be better. Like, I'm safe if I have food in my basement. But if, if the whole town has food, then the whole town can survive whatever happens. So the idea was to have a collective like food prep workshop. And it's also like in the old days during the depression, they had canning uh, like locally owned canneries or uh, what's the word, cooperative canneries. There used to be canneries where people would take their own food and can them together because the equipment to run it was expensive. So if they owned it together, you could bring what you grew, can your own stuff and take it home. Mm -hmm. So kind of the same idea, let's, let's take our food and preserve it together. But the idea here was that we would, uh, get dry goods like beans and, and flour and grain, things that don't go bad for a while. And then you can store them in mylar bags with uh, oxygen absorbers. And now they're good for like 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And maybe it doesn't need to keep 10, 20 years. Maybe you eat it next, you know, in six months or a year, whatever, it doesn't matter. But the point is if you have food in your house that can survive a long time, um, mm-hmm. it's just more, more resilient. Mm-hmm. And the other day, idea is that uh, this workshop would be uh, an introduction of mutual aid. And by that, I mean, the people doing the work are the beneficiaries. There's no like helper and helped, like the co-op where I used to work that it was the same idea. The ones who work here are also the ones that are benefiting from it because we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. So it's also about getting that concept in people's heads and practicing it. Helping um, price uh, the volume and the amounts of, of dried food. And it was fascinating. <laughs> flour but you know fruit and quinoa and all different mm-hmm. you know, types of things um so so maybe that can be tried uh again someday it could be in the fall it'd be better in the falls this in, in may is a graduation and everything's going crazy yeah, and, and covid opening up I think. and also the covid so really we can, busy the other thing is i like to remind myself is if all your if all your projects succeed you're not trying enough projects okay you're you right should right. always be trying to do more more than you can because that means that you're you're all you're like reaching right you never know what what kind of interest you're going to pique um i also worked on the electronic recycling day can you just talk about that yeah yeah because that that was was a big success that was a huge success (laughs) it was what did you do for that what was oh oh, well on the one hand it wasn't that difficult we well okay i'll tell you i'll take that back it was kind of difficult the person that contacted me about the idea gave me the name of a company in georgia that would do this and she'd worked with them in the past and i'm like great idea i come to the board tell the board we're all like yes let's do it so then i try to get all those guys and they won't call me back and they won't answer my emails <laughs> i don't know what happened to them <laughs> they just disappeared but luckily i was at the office and the lady who runs the building was there and we're normally never there at the same time. I'm in my office and she pokes her head and says, I haven't seen you in a while. How's it going? And I tell her, and I'm like, we catch up. And I'd say, we've got this project planned and I can't find anyone 
who does recycling, do you know anyone? She's like, yeah, call so-and-so. <laughs> she gives me a phone number. So Kara Fulber, I don't know if you know her, but she does the electronics recycling oh. for the county or, or not, not that per se. She does recycling events for the county. Just call Carol, she'll know somebody. And sure enough, Carol did. So I was just saved by the skin of my teeth. Uh, Carol hooked me up with some people, they were able to come. So we called them, scheduled them. They just came with a big um, tractor or a trailer, big trailer and cardboard boxes. And so we had volunteers there all day long. People would bring their computers. We often their cardboard boxes. And so we'd separate them, put the cardboard over here, put the electronics in the, in the thing all day long. And we were smashing hard drives so that people wouldn't have to worry about whether their stuff was secure. I think they had, they had it. We smashed the hard drives. And we did that like all day long. And then at the end of the day, they came and picked up their trailer and took it away. And So there were questions about what happened to this stuff. Oh, well, they take it apart. Um, it's, I think it's mostly about the precious metals. Okay. The, yeah. rare, the rare earth, the minerals and what, uh, not minerals, but those things, they're, they're expensive to mine. And so by recycling the uh, electronics, they can so they weren't, having to, they weren't going to China and they weren't going to school children or anything. Like no, that. I, well, I, I asked, I got that question right up front because I knew people were going to ask. He said, it's all processed <laughs> right here in Tennessee. And I'm like, prison labor, got it. I worked for a couple hours and I even got to um, hammer some, some hard drives. And it was, uh, you know, people just came with their stuff. Yeah. You know, and you said it, you know, all day and, um, um, and we're, we're interested and, you know, had questions and gave you money and, you know, there was no charge for it. But. No, no, no. They're just like, here, take money. <laughs> they were so grateful. They're like, thank you for the service because the stuff been piling up in their basements for years yeah. and they didn't know how to get rid of it. Do with it. And it seems like, yeah, it seems like such a waste. I wish, you know, I wish everything lasted longer that, you know, we could, yes recycle it by just continuing to use it but that would be a better solution that would be agreed solution so so what did that have with justice and peace what's what's the organization's mission i've seen think globally act locally yeah i'm not sure it directly does except unless you consider environmental justice to be okay a form of justice and so if you're keeping things out well you're keeping things out of the land landfill uh, which is uh Landfills can leak and, and they can poison the water and soil. So protecting water and soil. And then secondly, um, not having to mine as much because the mining is extremely bad for the environment, bad for the people that have to do it. So maybe it's a stretch, but that's also, it was Earth Day. Okay. And we want to do something to honor Earth Day. Okay. Okay. Well, I think it's like this podcast. I can make anything fit. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And that makes it interesting too. Can you talk a little bit about Juneteenth? I'm not always sure how much. I, I, I don't know how many people know about what Juneteenth is. So Juneteenth uh, is the oldest national celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery. So the Emancipation Proclamation was signed in January of, of 1863, but it okay. didn't get to Galveston, Texas until over two years later. And that was in April of 65. Um, and there were some theories about what took so long. One was that there weren't that many Union soldiers um, in Texas. Um, also, and these are kind of unsubstantiated, but interesting nonetheless, that the messenger going to tell the slaves in Texas that uh, was murdered. And then there also was a suggestion that kind of 
they wanted to get the, the uh, plantation owners, you know, held that information back so they could get the cotton crops in. So anyway, those people were working for an additional two years. Uh, and anyway, it was, a, it was a big celebration, of course, um, um, at that time. And then, uh, you know, lots of good things happened. And then we had the end of uh, reconstruction and that's a whole nother podcast. But it's always been celebrated uh, among the black community with barbecues and baseball and some also some education components and self um, improvement. And yes, since George Floyd and, and the civil rights, well, it came up in civil rights in the 60s, there was more of it and then more since George Floyd. So, um, so last year was the first time in Winchester for Juneteenth. Yes, and because we had gotten to know, we sort of made friends by helping out with that petition campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in a position to uh, have a booth at the event. Mm -hmm. So we'd already, in Swanee, we already had a long-standing tradition. CCJP has a booth at 4th of July. We give out free water and we have literature and stuff. So it was kind of funny because when COVID hit and I was like, oh, all that stuff for 4th of July, we're not going to use it. Well, we use it for Juneteenth. So we had the, the water buckets and the literature and, and I had like beefed up the literature with things like know your rights kind of sure. stuff. Uh, oh, because it was COVID, we, we had free masks. And at the other rallies, at the, at the rallies in Winchester and Tullahoma, people had seen our booth come and dumped candy on us, like for the kids. <laughs> so we had all the snacks. So we gave out free snacks. So we had free snacks, literature, water, uh, masks. Uh, and that was a great success. And we, I mean, we had a good time. But this year, actually, one of the organizers of the Juneteenth is on our, is on our board now. So he's asked us to have a, a bigger and different presence what we're doing this time, we'll, we'll still have the water and the literature, but we're also going to have um, more voter uh, education. That's what I would call it, education. Not just, last year there are people, it wasn't us, people at our table that were doing um, voter registration. And that was good, but we want to go like another step in that. So this time we're going to have, um, we've got big old maps of our districts. Mm -hmm. so people know what district they live in. We're going to have the timetables of all the um, all the local elections, because there's always that stuff in August that most people don't know about or pay attention to. You know, everyone knows about November, but August, those little weird things. The whole calendars, we're going to have calendars available. We're going to have um, information on how to be a candidate. Like, here's a process, here's a petition, here's a timeline for that. And we're going to have paperwork on how to get reinstated, get your rights reinstated if you've been disenfranchised as a um, felon. Mm -hmm. right. So now we're trying, we're just kind of, it's the same idea, like, okay, better registration, but let's go like broader and deeper. <laughs> Right, right. On that concept. What else? What else can we say? Well, I'm hoping that this summer is like last summer when there's a lot of um, protests and rallies that we can go to. Anniversary, one year anniversary yesterday. Oh, yeah. See, last year there were things taking place in Chattanooga, but I did not offer, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to try to get a bunch of people to go. I went to things, you know, CCJP went to things. We had tables and we gave free water and masks, but I did not try to get anyone to go with me because it was COVID. It felt irresponsible. But this year, if stuff kicks off, you know, we're all vaccinated and I feel like it might be safer to take people to things. Right, right. And when I say yesterday, um, May 25th, so people probably saw that. And next week is the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa riot. So um, I will post something on JP's site, you know, about that because there's so many people that don't know about yeah. it. You talk about history, uh, you know, and it's and it's everywhere, and um, and it's not a good history, but we still need to we still need to know it. 
So, okay, so uh, Cumberland Center for Justice and Peace. I hope that we've uh, generated some interest. We need some more people um, and it's never a dull moment. I don't think, I think oh, good, good. That, that you all have done, you know, are, are, are interesting. And um, like I say, you can do a connection to some kind of justice. And I think we need more justice around here and peace. <laughs> so the board meets uh, regularly and often have, well, it's been on Zoom. All year long. Your own donuts, but hopefully that will on the Facebook page. I just found it by Googling the Cumberland Center for Justice and Peace. It goes right straight to Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, the, the meetings are quarterly. Quarterly, okay. Yes, and they're open to the public. Okay. And the library is in Cowan. Cowan. You can uh, put some information on Facebook about that. The newsletter okay. is bi-monthly. Six, uh, six times a year. Six times a year, okay. Yeah, the library idea I got from Highlander because right. the, the library is like the center of Highlander. I mean, the building still stands. It, right. There's no books in it, but the building's still in Summerfield. I'm like, that's such a powerful idea. Like the library is the heart of it. Where do you, where do you get ideas from? How do you learn things from other people who wrote things? And so I said, we should have a library. Yeah. And <laughs> so we can do the same thing they do. Issues related to justice. And, and also just how do people do people, these problems we face are, are, are very old and they keep coming up over and over again. And so it's good to see what people did in the past and what worked and didn't work. That's how I like to look at it. And that reminds me of something else that's interesting. Uh, Ann Camp, you probably maybe don't know her, but she is a daughter of Ed Camp, who's one of the founders of CCJP. About a month ago or so, she brought me three big boxes of her, of her dad's stuff. And it had newsletters and um, minutes and, and just other stuff, just correspondence and memorabilia. And he, he, he printed out emails, everything. And I'm reading this stuff and it goes back to what? Is that 30 years, 87? Mm -hmm. 30 years close to it whatever uh can't do that kind of math anymore and it's amazing to me how and also evolved for a chunk of those years how much of the stuff that they were working on at the time was just like fringe way out there never going to happen impossible stuff like you know equal rights for gay people <laughs> you know or justice for black people uh, this is impossible no one cared what's going to happen and now that's sort of normal right and it's so amazing to see. It was so frustrating. It felt like you were just beating your head against the wall. But you just kept beating your head against the wall. And then now it's like, well, of course it's natural. <laughs> so that was refreshing. Awesome beating our heads against the wall. Yeah. But then there are other things they're talking about 30 years ago, like housing or higher wages. And those things have not happened yet at all. The, the, that <laughs> yeah. There's still so much work to be done, but it made it. it it may be encouraged to see that things we were working on in the past that seemed impossible did change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I think we're at an opportunity to see even more things change. Yes. I had, I'd always, um, I still hope that um, COVID will cause a reset in some areas that perhaps people did more reading or thinking or um, saw their situation in life and wanted to make a change and have that opportunity uh, through programs and, and outreach, you know, to make those decisions. So it, it is frustrating when things don't happen like minimum wage, mm -hmm. you know, it's 10, 10, well, I think a few years ago I did a podcast and it was 10 years. So it must be longer than 10 years, which is kind of stuck on. 
on 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 ten years, and uh, you know, making people kind of beg for services that they shouldn't have to. We're still fighting for the right to vote, but um, so anyway. Um, on this program, we do talk uh, about politics and that, and the, uh, the Tennessee legislature, bills, laws. The last session uh, was really exhausting for progressives. I always urge, um, I always urge my listeners to be uh, aware, be informed, be involved. And the Tennessee Holler is a big help with that. Um, it's a group of, again, a group of concerned citizens who, who love our state and trying to shine a light on what's going on throughout Tennessee to try to help it become a better place for everyone. Um, so I think, Lisa, your organization can do that, too, in some unique and very local ways. Would you like to add anything? And if they want to be on the newsletter list. Cumberland Justice and Peace at Gmail. There, there's a print newsletter. And there's no fee for the newsletter. The email list. We will have the calendar. Things we know that are going to happen in the future will be in the, cal in the calendar in the newsletter. Political education is how I like to think of it. And the email is more for here's a thing happening next week. <laughs> We can look for you at Juneteenth, the Juneteenth celebration in Winchester. Do you know where that is? Old Cowan Road Park. And we'll be out in Swanee on July 4th. And anything that happens locally that we're able to get to this summer will be, will be there. What about us? And we'll see you next time.